All right, amen, amen. Let's uh, open up our, our Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start off in verse 28 today. Lord Jesus Christ, help us this morning, Lord. Help me to preach your message, God. Help us, Lord, with ears to hear, Lord, eyes to see the truth, hearts open to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 28, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Now, which of the two, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Amen. Now, important to point out, there are two sons represented here in this parable. And I want you to remember that a parable is a story, right? It's a story that's laid alongside of a truth in order for that truth to be revealed to those people who are listening to it. So a parable laid, a story laid alongside, or an illustration laid alongside a truth so that that truth could be communicated. And this is Jesus' preferred teaching method. Um, and so he's been teaching in parables for a while now. These two sons, with the same father, both given the same task, and one answers better than the other, doesn't he? One says, I, I will, right? He says, I do, sir. The other one says, I'm not going to go. So one answers better than the other one, but then the other one does better, right? One answers better, one does better. Two, two sons, same father, one answers better, one does better. And this is what we see here. Now, this parable teaches us or shows us or asks us really, who's doing what the father wants him to do? This is what this parable is asking. This is what Jesus is asking the, the, those people who were listening to him. Who's doing what the father wants him to do? And what does this mean for the kingdom of God and the lives of the two sons? Now, this is the gist of it. And then we are hit with a rebuke and a condemnation from Jesus towards the Pharisees, along with the promise of hope and a future with God for those who come to him. Namely, he says, the tax collectors and prostitutes, they did believe in him. They did believe John's message. They're going to go into the kingdom before you. Now, what we really see here, represented in these two sons, are two sets of people represented. Two sets of people. One set of people are those who find themselves on the outside looking in. And the, others are, uh, and the other set are those who always see themselves on the inside looking out, thinking that they've got it all figured out. What we find out is that those who find themselves on the outside looking in, though they think that's how they are, though they, that they've been living their life like that, right? The tax collectors, the prostitutes, those whose life is entrenched in sin, who are without God, without hope, they find themselves on the outside looking in. But what we see in those is though they find themselves on the outside looking in, there's something going on in their hearts that's not going on on those people who think that they're on the inside looking out. Now, the first ones who are on the outside looking in, those who've, 
they're, they're, they're those people who've done things that they aren't proud of. They have no confidence. And all they're seeking in the world hasn't produced anything of any kind of real value. All they're seeking out in the world, all they're going to the world for answers, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, right? Every single person who's entrenched in sin, all of their attempts at finding answers in the world are vain attempts because they find out that all they're seeking hasn't produced anything of any kind of real value in life. They don't have experience with success. They don't have experience with right living. They're constantly looked at with disdain, even from the world. And Jesus uses prostitutes and tax collectors to illustrate and push his parable deep into the hearts of the people that are there listening at that moment. And then also, by extension, he uses that example to press it into our hearts, doesn't he? 2,000 years later, over 2,000 years later. Now, when they're asked to complete a task, they may uh, um, answer you the right way, or they letting you know, or they might answer you the right way, letting you know that they won't be there to do what you've asked. They may lack interest initially, think that the task is too tough, but then after thinking about it, they carry out the task because they are able to learn from the mistakes that they've made. And they're like, in this parable, the task is going out to work in the vineyard. And Jesus is speaking to them about work in the kingdom of God. I want you to see that. Asking them to go out into the vineyard, that's gospel work. That's kingdom work. Now, for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes, we have a tugging on our hearts. A tugging on our hearts, on our hearts spiritually once we hear from God and once we're called by God on once, what he wants us to do in our lives. We feel that tug, those who love God. And this tugging gets strong and it goes deep and it's calling us to a better way. And I hope that you can see that when you are encountered with the command of God or God's call on your life to go out and do something for him that he's calling you to a better way. He's always calling us to a better way, his way, the way of Jesus Christ. And we crave this work, those of us in Christ. In Christ, we delight in this work. We delight in this work just as the psalmist said, David said, right? That he delights in the command of God. He delights in the law of the Lord. And we also know that the law of God now for those in Christ is written on our hearts, don't we? The law of God is on our hearts. But at the beginning, before we know God, like these tax collectors and prostitutes, we won't heed the call. We won't yearn for the work of the kingdom. We won't yearn to hear from God and be sent out on a task. We will undoubtedly say no. I know that was true for me in my life. I said no over and over and over again from when I was a child until I finally gave my life to Christ. Any, any of y'all? To say no at, at, at any point in your life to God and when he asks you to do something, you know God's asking you to do something and still you're like, eh, I don't know about that. I don't feel comfortable with it. Not right now. I'm not ready for that yet. You say no, well, no matter what the reason is, no matter what the excuse is that we give to God or the excuse that we give to ourselves to justify our position before God, the fact remains, we say no. And this is our story the flat-out uncertainty of life for some will make them feel that life is passing them by, that they can't get ahead, they've messed up too much, that they've been too bad, that if there is a God, they will, uh, that if there is a God somewhere, and no matter how good that God may be, if there is a God, he's not going to accept them in because of how bad they've been. But these desperate times can lead those who are desperate to look outside of themselves 
for answers. Desperation will cause them to seek something else that they've never sought for answers, to seek answers somewhere else, somewhere they've never sought them before. And this is their opportunity to knock on the door of the Lord. I know this was true for me. So they won't start out looking specifically for God, and they may not come the first time that they've been invited. They may never commit to come to church. They may never pray with you when you ask them, if, can I pray with you? They may say, no, I don't need that prayer right now. No, I don't want to go into that church, man. Lightning going to strike me when I get in. Anybody ever heard that one before? No, no, no. They don't want me there. Dressed like this? Come on, baby. Come in. I, we don't care what you look like. We want you here. We don't care who you are. We want you here. We don't care what you've done. We want you here because we want you with God. With God. With God. But then out of the blue, or through continued effort on your part, because it takes effort sometimes, doesn't it? when you're preaching the gospel to somebody for that gospel to take hold, it takes time. It takes continued effort. It takes that vineyard work. Go out and work in the vineyard today. That's gospel work. That's kingdom work. It takes continued effort, and sometimes they'll show up. They will show up. And they are the people that Matthew Henry calls in his commentary, those who prove better than they promise. And that's the first set of people. And then there's the other set of uh, folks They are people who think that they've got it all figured out, that they've done enough, that they have it all squared away, and this pride will blind them into thinking that they're better off than they really are. They will be people that say one thing and do another, people that act one way in church, but behind the scenes are vipers, right? The wolves in sheep's clothing, those who backbite, those who talk amongst themselves with other people, anybody who will listen about other folks. This pride will blind them into thinking again that they're better off than they are. And these people are people that promise more than they're willing to deliver. And these are people that Matthew Henry calls in his commentary, those who promise better than they prove. So there are those who prove better than they promise and those who promise better than they prove. They give lip service to God while ignoring him with their lives. Now, both people are people who deal with uncertainty. But they are people who deal with it in an entirely different way. And I want to speak a little bit about uncertainty in life. Now, one set of people is uncertain about anything in life, but who is willing to climb through the uncertainty and make a choice to be different than they are. This is the first set. The first group will see that they've made mistakes, admit them, learn from their mistakes, and try to become different. And that's the set that we want to be a part of. Now, the second group is quite different. They won't see their mistakes. They think that they're doing it right all the while and that they aren't as bad as the other people. We hear in the Pharisees' prayers, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. Thank you that I'm not like them. Thank you I'm not like them. I don't know. Are you any better than they are? Who said? You said? Whose standard? Whose standard are we measuring ourselves by? Our own or God's? They'll count on things, the second group, they'll count on things that they've done and the way that they live to prove that they're good enough for God. They'll take their work, the work that they've done in their lives, and stake their lives on that work, on their work. They will always point to themselves. They will say one thing and do another and think nobody is wise to their ways. Now, one of the beautiful things about this passage is the truth that there will always be an opportunity to turn back from a, simple, uh, from a sinful life. 
And I hope that you know that that's true. For those who love God, there will always be an opportunity to turn back from a sinful life. Our text is a beautiful representation today of what can happen in the life of someone who loves God. This is just what can happen in the life of someone who loves God. But for a time, in the lives of those who say no at first, there will be a great deal of uncertainty that they deal with. For tax collectors, for prostitutes, anyone who's living the life of sin, they live a life far from God. They depend solely on their wits and on their bodies to get by in life. They depend on themselves. Tax collectors, they're notorious for cheating people out of their money. Y'all know this, right? In that day, in Jesus' time, tax collectors, it was like debt collectors today almost. I, I read that illustration, and I thought that was interesting. You know what I'm saying? Debt collectors. Anybody in here? Who likes a debt collector? Anybody? Right? Anybody like a debt collector? Right? No, they get on the phone with you, they threaten you. Not that I've ever been called by one. You know what I'm saying? I don't know this, but um, listen. Tax collectors in that day, right, they would, everybody, every Roman, so the Roman Empire would send out a census. Remember in the beginning uh, when, when Jesus' uh, uh, mom, Mary, and Joseph, they went when she was pregnant, they, they had to go to, for the census, right? They had to go back to the place of their birth, and that's where they went to Bethlehem, right? Okay, well, the census was a way of counting all of the people within the kingdom or within the empire so that they could get names of people, and so that those names were then thrown, put into a list, and those names were then taxed. It was a way of collecting information so that people could be taxed, every single pe person that was alive, so that the empire could continue to enrich itself, right? Okay, so these taxes, tax collectors collected them, and prominent Jews of that time were notorious for bidding on becoming tax collectors. Why? Because it would make them more rich, so they would bid for the role to become a tax collector. After they became a tax collector, they would collect taxes from all of the citizens. But they wouldn't only collect the taxes that the citizen owed. They would charge the citizens more than they owed. So they would pay the empire what the citizen owed and keep all of the rest. Tell me if you think that's fair. That the citizens were paying more than they needed to, more than the tax that was required, so that the tax collectors could enrich themselves. And specifically here, we're talking about Jewish tax collectors, tax collectors that were Jews, hated by their own people, because their own people saw them as rogues, as uh, heretics, as uh, uh, that they were going against their own people and the people of God, that they were going against God. They were considered unclean. Unclean tax collectors were. And this is who Jesus points to. Think about that. Think about that. And so not only were people afraid of the empire for not paying taxes, but they were afraid of the tax collectors because then the tax collectors would have this group of goons behind them that were armed soldiers, like an armed guard. And how would they have that? Well, they were able to pay for it. How were they able to do that? Because of all the money they collected over the taxes from the people. And then they enforced it. And the people lived in fear because of it. It's the epitome of selfishness and greed. And it's one of the reasons that Matthew's conversion was so dramatic and powerful. You remember that Matthew was a tax collector, don't you? Matthew, the disciple of Jesus Christ. His name was Levi. He was called to be with the Lord, and his name now, we know him as Matthew. He's not only a tax collector, but he was also a Jew, and so he was despised by his own people to no end. This same Matthew that we're reading the gospel of today, this is one of those tax collectors that went into the kingdom before the Pharisees. Beautiful. Beautiful. And for the prostitutes, they were used, tossed to the side, seen as scum, not human. But notice that Jesus says, 
it is they who will enter the kingdom before the Pharisees. So this is very weighty for the Pharisees. This is very important. They know he's talking to them. And they know he's talking about them. In verse 31, Matthew 21, verse 31, he says, Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, The first. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Not before you, because they're going to get in, and then you're going to get in also just right after them. It's going before you. In other words, you're left behind. They have gone before. You think you've gone before them in this life, but that is not the truth. They've gone before you, and you will fall behind. Not behind in after them, just behind. They will be left behind if they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Now, both sets of people that Jesus speaks about faced a great deal of uncertainty in life because of the path that they were on. And we may not be doing the same things as these two sets of people in life, but we are all sinners and we all face the same eternal fate before coming to Jesus Christ. And I hope we know that. That we aren't, these people are not far off from us. We are the same. Before coming to Christ, we are identified and condemned because of our sin. Now, we face uncertain times here today, and the truth is that we have always faced uncertain times our entire lives. And for us now, it's not just the pandemic that we're in that's uncertain. When am I going to get to go out of my house? When stores going to be back open again, right? Uh, for ladies, you know, beauty salons, all that stuff, you know. Let's go and do normal things. That's what, that's what you want to do. And I don't blame you because I, I want to do that too. I don't even go to the beauty salon. I just want to go, right? Just because I can't go, right? But listen, the truth about life, and because it's not, it's not only uncertain now during the pandemic, but even after Hurricane Harvey that we faced, right, it obliterated us here in Aransas Pass. Here, just in our building, I mean, golly, we're two and a half years out, we're still repairing things. It's uncertain. It was un it's uncertain now, it was uncertain then, but it wasn't just these times. The truth about life is that it's always uncertain, it is uncertain at all times. But in the uncertainty of life, we become comfortable in it. We get comfortable with what we don't know and comfortable with what we do know. So comfortable, in fact, that we don't seek new information out. Continue to educate ourselves on different things. And at the same time, we become, become so comfortable in what we don't know that we don't see another way to live. We're fine not knowing things. And then between the two, if we're truthful with ourselves about it, we realize that the things we don't know vastly outweigh the things we do know. There's so much more that I don't know than there is that I do know. Can we agree on that one? Uncertainty has always been among us. Maybe the exact circumstances are different, but the general idea and feeling of uncertainty has always existed among us as a people here on this planet. Now, what do we mean uncertainty? I'm certain that I'm going to heaven. I believe in Jesus. I'm certain that he saves. These are the things I'm certain about. So what are we talking about uncertainty? What's the meaning of life? What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to be when I grow up? How tall am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to look like when I grow up? What kind of clothes am I going to wear today? How am I going to fix my hair today? Am I going to wear cologne today? Am I not going to wear cologne today? Right? Am I going to wear deodorant today? Am I not going to wear deodorant today? I hope you do. All right? Where am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to college? Where should I apply to work? Why do I feel this way? Why does that make me so mad? Is there really a God out there somewhere? 
Who is God? Am I just a failure? What does success really look like? And how am I supposed to figure this out? We deal with uncertainty in life on a daily basis about all sorts of things. Uncertainty everywhere we look. We don't have the answers we want. It takes us a lifetime to find out the answers to things that we've wondered since we were kids. And really, they're just questions. They're just questions, aren't they? This is what we have in life. They're just questions about life. And that's incredibly encouraging to me. Now, why is that incredibly encouraging to me? Because we've always had questions, and we will always have questions. And it's encouraging to me because no matter what we've faced before, and no matter how many questions we've had about life, no matter how many questions we have now about where we're at and when things are going to get back to normal, we are still here. And we're still standing, aren't we? Well, most of y'all are sitting. But you're still standing. You're still present. In this moment, you're here. And that's encouraging to me because uncertainty does not stop our life. No matter how much uncertainty we have in life, it's not going to derail us, especially if we believe in Jesus Christ. That is certain, that is real, that is true, that is everlasting, and that is the bottom of it all, that is underneath it all. It is the love of God that brings us together and binds us together in true unity and peace. We're still here. I remember I was in acting school in New York City after high school, and I was 19 years old, I was living in New York, I had never even been out of Texas before, right? Um, I had gone some places in Texas, I think. I had never really been, oh, well, I went to Louisiana once when I was a really little kid that I barely remember. But I hadn't really ever been out of Texas before, not to live for any extended period of time anyway. And uh, I was 19, and I was making all kinds of mistakes in New York City by myself, if you can imagine. Don't imagine it, just don't, go, you know. Um, but I was making all kinds of mistakes, and uh, they were talking about kicking me out of school. And I was at this acting school in New York City at this prestigious acting conservatory, right? And they were talking about kicking me out of school because I was doing some stuff wrong. And, and uh, um, I was having a conversation with one of my teachers in a stairwell inside the school. And he was talking to me about these things. And all of a sudden, my, my, I felt pins and needles all over my body. The back of my neck, it felt like it was on fire. Then my skin started to, it just felt like it was on fire, like it was burning, pins and needles everywhere. My chest was tight. <gasps> All of a sudden, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't catch my breath. I was talking to him while I was breathing in because I felt like I couldn't breathe out. I was like, I can't breathe. Ah. You know, I, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't catch my breath. I started to freak out in the stairwell, and I literally had to go down to my knees. I, could, I didn't know what was happening to me. And my acting teacher, I remember he looked at me. His name was Peter, Peter Jensen, I think. And he said, um, he said hey, don't worry. Hey, just relax, just breathe, just breathe. And he, I remember him, him looking, looking at me, and I was just looking at him, wondering what is happening to me. I, thought, I literally thought I was dying. I didn't know what was going on with me. Um, and that wouldn't have surprised me, considering what I was into at that time, that I would have been dying at that time. So I was very scared, and he just looked at me. He told me to calm down, just to breathe, to relax. Everything was going to be okay. He said, everything's going to be okay. You're not going to die. I think you're having an anxiety attack. So just, just relax, just breathe, just calm down. It's okay. I'm here with you. I'm not going to leave. I remember being incredibly comforted by his words and incredibly comforted because his eyes stayed with me, right? 
He stayed with me the whole time. He was comforting with me at, at that time. I was worried because I didn't know what was happening to me. I was worried about the uncertainty of that moment and what was happening to me. And I was also worried about school. I was, if I was going to mess up and, and, and people were going to be disappointed in me, what are my parents going to say? What are they going to think? They're the ones shelling out the money for this place, right? What's everybody going to think about me? I was drowning in uncertainty. So how am I encouraged by this? How does this help me today? Well, the words of my teacher, it's going to be okay, just breathe, it's not going to kill you. This comforts me today because I know that no matter what we have to go through in life, we've gone through so much already. We have endured through the toughest times that life has thrown our way, and we have endured this, and we are still here. Think about the things that you faced in your life, church. All of the hard times. Some of you, a lot of you have lost your parents. I don't know that pain yet. Some of you have lost your brothers or sisters. I don't know that pain yet. I will, but I don't know it right now. I know other types of pain, but you know that pain. You've gone through pain. You've experienced things. Loss of children. People that you love. Relationships that are in shambles. We face uncertainty. But let me tell you something, church. Let me encourage you. Though you face those things in life at times, you're still here and your heart beats on. Your heart beats on. I never knew why my teacher's words were so comforting to me all those years ago, but I understand it better now. I thought I was dying, right? I thought I was having a heart attack or something. I didn't know what was going on with me. Pins and needles all over my body, couldn't breathe, chest tight, didn't know what was happening. But he basically told me not to be afraid. Where else do we hear that, church? Jesus. Amen, Joe. We hear it from Jesus. Don't be afraid. Cast all your fears and anxieties onto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where they belong. No matter what you go through in life, no matter if you find yourself... Maybe right now on the outside looking in. Cast all of your fears and anxieties upon the Lord. This is what the Lord tells us in the storms or the troubles of our lives today. He asks us to walk out in faith. In the midst of the storm, we don't need to wait until it passes. We can walk out on the sea in the midst of it because of who calls us to walk out onto it. We can walk out by faith because even if we begin to sink down into the sea, as the Apostle Peter did, Jesus will be right there to lift us up and bring us back to himself. We live in uncertain times, church, but uncertainty is an old acquaintance of ours, isn't it? We know it well. And though we live in uncertain times, not knowing what's coming around the corner, our Lord presses on us to come to him no matter what our lives have been like. And then he calls us to be steadfast in those times. He tells us that our present circumstances and sufferings are the things that build us up as Christians. Let me read Romans chapter 5 to you in verse 3. Romans 5, starting in verse 3. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now we have hope because of the suffering we face. If we let it, fear will overtake us, overwhelm us, cause us to sink back into the earth like into quicksand without a way of escape. But if we lean on the Lord and press into Him through prayer and godly living, we will find ourselves on the shores of grace, giving Him glory for bringing us through all these times and comforting us into the present. Because it's in the present that we find ourselves wrapped up in His grace forever. Saved for eternity. The hope that we have in our future life with Christ is the hope that keeps us afloat in the turbulent times of life. Our hope in the future keeps us alive today. It keeps us hopeful. It keeps us going today. These sufferings that you now face don't have to drown you. They can be the eyes that guide you to look up and see the Lord's outstretched hand reaching for you to grab him. Let your heart look to hope during these days that you find yourself in. Now, I want, to, I want you to see one final thing here. The father of these two sons, he called them to work in the vineyard. He calls them to work in the vineyard. One works, the other doesn't. Of the two sons, one is taking hold of his father and taking hold of his role as a son. And the other is denying the father by his actions. In Matthew 15, 7 through 9, Jesus tells the Pharisees in verse 7, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Our opportunity in the kingdom of God is to take hold of our Father in heaven. That is our opportunity in the kingdom, to take hold of our Father in heaven. He's calling us all to the vineyard, to go with Him out into the vineyard. He's calling us all to gospel work, to work out our salvation, that very salvation that has been worked into us, to work it out. He's calling us out into the vineyard, church. Will you take hold of your father here today? Will you take his hand as he reaches out to you in the uncertainty of your life and you're drowning, you reach out to him, will you take hold of his hand and go out into the vineyard as he sends you out? Will you go out and will you share your testimony with your family? Share about the saving work of Jesus Christ with your family. Will you do that? Will you go out and call people to believe in Jesus so that they can be with God forever? Will you go out and share the most incredible love that God has ever given us? The ability to speak the truth about God and who He is and share His gospel with the world who needs Him so desperately. Will you do that work? Will you go out into the vineyard church as the Father calls you out? Will your yes be on the table? Will you say, here I am, Lord, send me as Isaiah did? Will you go out into the vineyard today, church? Will you do the gospel work of the kingdom of God? Will you serve the Lord in His church? Will you serve the Lord in this community? Will you serve the Lord first in your own family? Will you share the good news with them? Will you exemplify with your life 
the very things you speak with your lips. Remember, the Pharisees, they said, I will go. Or Jesus was calling and talking about them, saying, you give lip service to God, but your heart is far from Him. God says here to Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Don't be that person, church. Don't honor the Lord with your lips and do something completely different with your life. Have your lips in your life be the same. Have your words and your actions be the same. Be the, first per- be the same person from one moment to the next. Be the same person in every circumstance. Don't have different compartments of your life being one thing to one person and another thing to another person. Be the same. Will you take your father's hand and will you go out into the vineyard today? Will you call people out of destruction and into eternal life? This is the gospel call. This is vineyard work. This is the best work. This is great work. This is good work. This is God's work. This is kingdom work. And this is work for the glory of God. Will you do that, church? Because your Father is pressing on you now. Your Father presses on you today to do the work of the Lord. How will you answer? I pray, church, that you will not only answer with your lips, giving the Lord your, yes, I will go, but that you would answer with your life and that you would go. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much, Lord. We thank you for enlightening our hearts with the gospel truth, Lord, that you've come to save. And God, that the intentions of our heart, Lord, matter more than the words of our lips. When those two are divorced, Lord, we have a heart that is far from you. But Lord, when our hearts seek after you, Lord, and our lips communicate that message of love that we have deep within our soul, Lord, we are with you forever and we enter into the kingdom. God, I pray that all of us here would enter in, Lord, that we would know you, the power of your salvation, that we would know the gospel of grace, Lord, and that we would be led by the truth here and forever, in Jesus' name, amen.